Kristen Evenson and Mark L. Vincent are your hosts today on the Third Turn Podcast, an ongoing resource for experienced executives in the third turn of that executive leadership. Kristen is a consultant and coach trained in the neuroscience of change, and Mark is the founder of Design Group International and the Society for Process Consulting. Today's guest is Chelsea Glockner. Chelsea helps business leaders and parents strengthen their bodies for living a full, abundant life. Welcome, everyone, to episode 39 of the Third Turn Podcast. We are always so grateful when you join in for our conversations here. Today, we're resharing a conversation that Mark had recently with Chelsea Gluckner about going narrower and deeper in serving clients with greater resonance and significance. And Chelsea was our guest on episode 9. And so this is a circle back 30 episodes later. And whether you're uh, an organizational leader, a solopreneur, or especially a third turn leader who's exploring what next chapter passion and contribution might be, this conversation will provide helpful insights for you. Here's Mark and Chelsea. Well, this is a privilege. I'm going to get to talk to Chelsea Glockner for a while here. And uh, Chelsea is someone that I've come to know along with her husband, Matt. And Chelsea has been uh, building a business around um, helping people live a better life, particularly where nutrition is involved, but it's been an evolving practice. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how your practice has evolved as one who's newer in the business, but you've had to evolve it. Mm -hmm. And I'll reflect a bit as an old dog at this, uh, who's had to rebuild his practice several times. Uh, because of uh, achieving some degree of success and finding out that you can actually be impactful and helpful to people. So, uh, Chelsea, let's just start here by talking about the development of our practices and how they've evolved. So if you would, uh, just tell us the story and and where does it stand now as you've developed your practice? Thank you. Well, Mark, it's always a privilege to talk to you too. So thank you for facilitating this conversation. So uh, I have a master's in nutrition. I'm a registered dietitian. And for the beginning part of getting those degrees, I really wanted to work with athletes and elite athletes. So when I was getting my master's, I focused all, they call it a concentration. I got a concentration in sports nutrition. And so when I was thinking about who I can help and how I can help people, because I knew once I graduated, I wanted to go out on my own and hang my own shingle. Um, I wanted to work with athletes. So it was very much, I help athletes, you know, maximize their performance through nutrition. So that's where it started. And I had the, the honor of working under someone who was uh, the head coach of the USA triathlon team for the Olympics. And so I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to do and who I want to serve. And as I got to know the athletes that I was serving, they were business leaders. They were parents who they were coming to me for the sports nutrition, but they were also just wanting to know, like, how do I just eat healthy and do it with my family? So I got passionate about that and started to tweak 
the language of who I was serving and how I was serving. And so I said, you know, I help parents, business leaders, and athletes maximize their performance through nutrition. And what I found about that was I was using language that um, probably wasn't the language that people think in their heads. Like when people think about healthy eating and how they want to feel, they're not thinking, oh, I want to maximize my performance through mm-hmm. nutrition. It mm-hmm. wasn't, I, I don't talk to myself like that. The people I was talking to and helping with, that wasn't the language they were using. And so I started to think about my niche and, you know, how can I better resonate and better message how I help people and who I help. So then I broadened it and I said, you know, I help busy people make healthy eating easy, Mm. which sounded really good. (laughs) But what I found was it was too broad because everyone's busy and it also didn't position me as the expert that I was. I do so much Mm. more for people and their health and transforming their lives than just making healthy eating easy Mm -hmm. and helping busy people. And so then becoming a mom actually helped me gain so much clarity on who I serve, how I serve them. I stopped thinking about like, I serve 40 year olds who, you know, are mostly female and, you know, I, I stopped looking at it that way. And I really leaned into the energy of the person that I wanted to serve, which was actually very much the energy of my husband and I, and what we experienced. He's a business owner and we're both parents and we both want a home and a table that our children come home to like 30 years from now. And Mm -hmm. so now what I say when people say, well, what do you do? I say, I help parents set the table for meaningful connection while helping their, helping them transform their health, their habits and their happiness. So that's where I am now. And I'm sure it will continue to iterate, but Mm. it's a long way of um, tweaking and pivoting from I'm no longer helping triathletes maximize their performance. Mm -hmm. I'm helping parents transform their lives. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if I could try to play that back from how my ears heard this. You started out, here's what I can bring and Mm -hmm. to whom I would want to bring it. And it doesn't mean you were self-centered, but you were at the center of it, uh, as I heard it. Then it was like, well, wait a minute. Uh, That may or maybe you are not be useful, but it doesn't resonate necessarily in the hearer's words. As you said, uh, wait, I'm not going out saying as a customer, I'm looking for, you know, the best nutrition as an elite athlete. There are a few people that do that, but that's not what really caught the attention of the customer you were trying to reach or the client. So you went from you to a broader marketplace. I'll serve this marketplace and I'll narrow it a bit. It's not necessarily everyone, but for those who are really busy and nutrition slacking, athlete, not an athlete, a person in business who is an athlete, person in business who's not, you know. But now you've narrowed it yet again 
to something where the customer or client is at the center. Right. Like you're you're really trying to listen to what they're looking for. And mm-hmm. the place that you're starting is the person who wants their home to be super meaningful, whatever they might describe that as, but yeah. you're listening for that and dialing into them. Am I am I hearing that's exactly right? And I think too, a lot of um health experts or nutritionists, whether they're you know registered or not, they talk to about food oftentimes in terms of diets or calories or weight loss. And for me, that never resonated with me. And that's not how I wanted to help people. And that's what I knew for me, nutrition was a vehicle to help you live the life you wanted to live. And I wanted to help people experience that. And so by, yes, by really focusing on who I was serving, it really helped me position myself as an expert. Um, I would say at the very beginning, I was really afraid to niche down and be specific um, because I was afraid that I would limit who I was serving, which means I would limit how many people I was reaching, which means I would limit my sales because even as an entrepreneur, of course, my biggest um, you know, mission and impact is to impact other people and help them and, you know, better their lives, but also (laughs) financial freedom. Um, and so I was really afraid that I would limit myself, limit my audience, limit my sales. And so I didn't want to niche down, even though a lot of who I was following, like Donald Miller, Amy Porterfield, um, they were saying, you know, the, the riches are in the niches. And I thought, ugh. But I can help everyone with nutrition because everyone eats. Everyone Mm -hmm. wants to be healthy or healthier than they are. But what I heard the best example, Mark, and this resonated, it made it so clear for me why niching down is so important is because if you have, let's say you need eye surgery, you wouldn't go to a general medicine doctor you would go to an eye surgeon, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And so sure. the general person, like you want to go to the eye surgeon if you need eye surgery because they're the expert in that field. And so I was like, wow, it makes it so clear for the customer to know, oh, that you are exactly who I want to work with because you understand my problems, my struggles, my pain points, and you know where I want to go and you can help get me there. And I realized by being like the person who helps busy people eat healthy, it still wasn't niche enough. It wasn't reaching the person that I wanted to help. And it wasn't positioning me as the expert that I am. Yeah. And I'm not imagining a busy person taking the time to Google, how can I have better nutrition uh, until there may be, um, a little far beyond um, mm-hmm. <laughs> where they where they could really they would need a, a deeper intervention maybe at that point or something right along that right, right where it's like the yeah. wake up call and it's like right oh, and now and I then have you're it. yeah and then your customer yeah. would be more the doctor who would refer you as the ongoing nutritionist but they already have relationships totally yeah and that was kind of what it was at the beginning and it was just like but this is not what I want to help people yeah. with so. right. 
getting right. here for me helped me reach more people at a deeper level, which was yeah. helpful. Have you experienced that too? Because you're obviously farther ahead in your career and your success. Well, I think the map I would draw would be very much the same, and um, including the the fears of, oh, what happens if I narrow this up that I think we're going to talk about in a little bit here. So, yeah, it, it started much the same way. Like, here's this thing that I knew how, how to do really well, which was to get into conflicted kind of environments, particularly where money was involved, particularly in the nonprofit space, and help that get better, help the conflict at the board get resolved, or help the angry donor uh, get over their anger. But that usually means, again, that an intervention was required, and you're usually playing cleanup instead of doing the fun work where you can have impact and uh, organization can achieve its mission. So uh, one of the other problems with working with nonprofits is that they tend to um, – oh, let's say it this way. They uh, don't want to spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. and uh, so they often limit the work and limit the impact. And in order to be available to work with nonprofits where causes get furthered, we discovered, well, then we have to have a broader universe than just nonprofits. So we started doing like you did, you know, making this available to everybody because stockholder meetings have conflict around money and uh, uh, zoning boards with new neighborhood developments have conflicts around money. And so started making it much more broadly available. That helped in a sense because it created what now is Design Group International and the platform Mm -hmm. that helps all kinds of experts be available. But for me, it was now too broad And as I began to succeed in other areas, let's say like fundraising council for a college that wanted to build a building or a church that wanted to expand its campus, um, I got into relationships with people who were far more experienced and far better at it than I was. And it wasn't my primary interest. So I would step out, back off, back off, back off and make room for others for whom this was their specific niche, as you said. Right. Well, then what's my niche? You know, and and so ultimately I I could keep going on into this story, but ultimately where I have landed at this stage in my career, now that I build a couple of companies and help get successors in place and so forth, was that my niche really is that overall cycle of developing an organization, whatever its stage is, but to niche it further down and tighter is Mm -hmm. the intersection between that CEO and the organization that they are running. The capacity of one influences the capacity of others. Mm-hmm. But if I narrow it even one more, it's for that, what we call a third turn leader, the person mm-hmm. who is moving into that last five to eight years of their career mm-hmm. and are at the helm of an organization and they know that what they're developing next is likely going to be run by somebody else. That's mm-hmm. my lane. That's the spot. And I can, yes, help in other ways, but this is who I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's a very narrow band of people, much like what mm-hmm. you're experiencing, because not everybody is mm-hmm. saying home, hearth with a child who's got allergies. Right. Right. And 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 other aspects of nutrition. So I'm wondering then, Chelsea, if we could take that same journey, mm-hmm. but really focus on this narrowing and and uh deepening. So as you've narrowed up, you've gone deeper in other ways, but yet business grows. 
That right. feels counterintuitive. But how would you describe the narrowing and the deepening that you've gone through? Yes. Well, one thing I would say is just listening to who you serve now, like the third turn leader who's interested in the impact of like the generational impact. It's so sticky. Like mm-hmm. I, it's, it sticks in my brain. Like I can imagine that person, I can kind of feel the energy of, you know, what they want to do and accomplish. And for me, it was kind of the same way. Like when I say I help parents set the table for meaningful connection and how people gather where they're fed. So what if we gathered over healthy meals that helps not only you thrive, but helps your family thrive with nourishing food. And then it facilitates meaningful relationship. And then you also have meaningful work because, you know, perhaps you are a business leader who's a parent. I think people are able to, when it's narrower and deeper, it sticks more. Like, I think people can see this kind of like moving picture in their head of, what does that look like? What does that feel like when you're talking about the third turn leader or I'm talking about a crowded table? You know, what mm-hmm. does a crowded table look like and feel like? Um, and I would say also there's just a deeper, when you narrow and deepen, I think it gets people more on board with your vision mm-hmm. of where you're going and where they're going to, and you're, mm-hmm. you're journey, journeying together on that vision. Mm-hmm. So could I just ask you for like some of the other phrases you find yourself using? So I, I can certainly picture and get the sticky thing when we talk about crowded table and meaningful table. But what are some of the other phrases that you use? There's a reason I'm asking you, but and I'll okay. reveal that in a moment. But okay. what, what are some of the things you find yourself saying when you're in a, an engaging conversation with people and they're like, what, what does that look like? Or what does that mean? What, what are some of those phrases? I think when I'm talking to someone for the first time, you know, I'm helping people set the table for meaningful connection. And I say, you know, for my husband and I, we are, you know, we have a lot of responsibilities. My husband um, works long hours. He's a, you know, he owns and runs a business and I, we have a one-year-old. And so it's really hard to find the time and the energy to, you know, nourish ourselves for a strong mind and a strong spirit. But when we do so, we just feel so much better. And when we envision the future, we see our children with their spouses coming home for the holidays and we're Mm -hmm. all sitting around a crowded table. And because we feel healthy, we're doing all these fun activities. Mm -hmm. I found when I, you know, we're talking and I'm having a conversation, I wouldn't do a monologue like that. But when it's a conversation, people say, oh my gosh, that's exactly right. Like I am, I have four kids. I don't have the time or energy to put a healthy meal on the table, but it is important to me. It's like, yes, we're, mm-hmm. we're tracking because mm-hmm. now I'm also talking to my pain points, but I figured out the systems to actually make it happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I can help you that way. And mm-hmm. so it's opened the door to, oh, she gets me. She understands me. Um, and it resonates. 
I like this because what you're doing is giving a number of phrases like meaningful family life, um, that crowded table, uh, you know, setting the table when you're busy. You know, there, there's just so many uh, word combinations that are there, but yet it, your use of them regularly and consistently is narrowing and deepening so that when someone, because we are in this internet age, is searching for this kind of information, mm -hmm. they are far more likely to find you than yeah. if they are just doing the general search for nutritionist in my area. Exactly. Right, and that's that's where that narrowing and deepening, you, you actually, because you're deepening mm -hmm. and getting more specific, that smaller set of people than everyone there's yeah. <laughs> a greater chance of actually finding you right. and, and being able to make that connection and getting hooked up. Exactly. And that's been your experience, right? That's been my experience is that as I have narrowed and now, and again, I'm sure it'll iterate as I learn and tweak and, you know, discover more things from the people I'm already serving. How can I better serve them? And what is their language? Because that was a big thing for me. What are people, what are the words that other people are using? Because yeah. in my mind, I can say, well, this is your problem and this is how I can help you. But if they're phrasing it a different way, I have found that is how my niche kind of naturally tweaked over time anyway, was I was understanding more and more what people were struggling with. And then, oh, I can help them in that way, but I'll phrase it this way instead. Yeah. Well, yeah. You've, if, if I just flip it back over to my experience here for a second, because yeah. you've already pointed it out, phrases like third turn leader yes. or a maestro level leader mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, uh, managing the transition that leads to succession and legacy, those kinds of phrases have caught fire for us uh, in ways that I've been really surprised. Like I felt like we found language that people can agree with, but what yeah. we're hearing is they're actually picking the language up and using it elsewhere. Yeah. And, and again, so narrower and deeper not only makes us findable, or we could even say searchable findable, Right. Then we're also experiencing the fact that uh, you kind of get into this thought leadership space because you've refined it so tight. People see that as the the starting point and it becomes the the referent by which they're evaluating other places because you've done this really detailed work to differentiate. Right. So we're, and we're you're both... the go to source. You're the go to source now for a third turn leader, because now you're not helping, you know, organizations and nonprofits, right. you're helping third turn leaders make, you know, that generational impact. Right. And so also probably people are referred to you because it's like, oh, I right. know why. <laughs> That's <laughs> so exactly that right. Exists. And right. you may benefit from a conversation with Mark. Right. Right. And you're experiencing that as well. Oh, right. here's this family and they've had this new issue for nutrition. Well, yeah. well, let's have you talk to Chelsea because she yeah. she knows something about this. Yes. So. All right. We're, we're pointing to the benefits like this is why um, we like it, why we're more likely to do it again when yeah. the time comes. Right. But somewhere in there, we had to get past fear. Mm -hmm. Like oh, you yeah. talked about it, like what happens if. I'm not available to say yes because uh, I've got to have business and so forth. So yeah. how how did you get past the fear 
of losing business as you narrowed up and got more refined? Well, it wasn't easy um, because you, I had to work through it by reading books on like imposter syndrome even, Mm. um, but also a storytelling and branding and listening to podcasts on marketing and all signs pointed to, you know, niching down, narrowing and deepening. But the fear was there, like I said, at the beginning about losing people and not reaching people. What I found by this iteration that I'm in now about helping people, you know, set a crowded table, create a crowded table is that if at the very least it is benefiting my family personally. So by my offers, I have an online membership site called the crowded table and it's a community that I help. Um, if I am just serving myself and my family, that feels like a win to me. So I think that has helped me get over the fear of what if this doesn't take off or what if this doesn't work? However, that's not what's happening because it is resonating with parents who want that, who want to eat mm-hmm. healthy and sure. have it quick and easy, but it also goes a little deeper than that for them. And they want that community and that support. Um, so I would say that the fear lingered for a couple of years. So I've been full-time with my business for three and a half years now. Um, but it wasn't only until the last probably year that I felt very comfortable in being niched down and that just putting myself out there, like, let's try this. And if it doesn't attract people, then that's okay. So it took Mm. a little time for the fear to subside. Did you Mm -hmm. find that too? Or Yeah. And I'm not sure the anxiousness, that's maybe the word I would use a little bit more. Like, I think the people who, let me start that again. The people who um, uh, are in this for a long time, uh, they might not be afraid anymore, but they have to battle anxiety all of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, what if they say no to me? What if this doesn't work? Mm-hmm. What if there's a major change and next year, you know, nobody's available to use the services that I'd like to bring to the world? So I think it's always there and we get more effective at not letting that win. Right. That's true. Uh, and that not letting fair. it drive our client interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were able to put trust in the driver's seat mm-hmm. uh, and courage and bravery rather than fear and anxiety. And I'm not talking about the kind yeah. of courage that's a false bravado, but a real right. trusting kind of peace. But right. what I, I heard in what you did is uh, what any kind of solopreneur, small business entrepreneur has to do. If you don't have a great big Silicon Valley startup Mm -hmm. set of money underneath you, all Mm -hmm. these investors, uh, where you're going to throw all kinds of marketing dollars out there and lose a lot of money, hoping to get it back at the end, you have to go in a very consistent and steady, low cost or no cost way, which means you must be persistent Mm -hmm. and consistent. And if you are afraid and don't do the narrowing and that further defining, you're doing a little bit of effort here, a little bit of effort there, a little bit of effort up here, and nothing really lands or sticks with you. So how can it land or stick in a prospective client message? 
Exactly. And also it starts to come off as if you don't, uh, you haven't figured it out mm-hmm. and you don't have a bench and yes. you're giving it a try. And now if I give you businesses because I'm doing you a favor because mm-hmm. I like you, not because of what you're offering. Right. But that I'm going to live here. I'm going to get this as pure as I can get it. I'm going to do what gets me up in the morning, whether I'm paid or not. I'm going to do this thing that benefits my family and the crowded table. I yeah. want to set and it's going to be out of the overflow of this integrated life, not disintegrated one that I'll make things available. Then then it it becomes natural or far more natural than, mm-hmm. oh, who do I need to be in order to make this sale? Right. Like a people. It's a lot of energy. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think two people come to mind that help me overcome the fear and also help me see the value in being consistent and persistent, like you said. The first would be James Clear, the author who wrote Atomic Habits, because I love helping people with habits. I think that's the, you know, the secret sauce of health, but also everything else. If you're persistent and consistent, it's those like tiny changes that make remarkable results. He tells a story in Atomic Habits about um, the football team. And I'm sure I'm getting this wrong. It might be Michigan State or some, it's some other team, but they have a rock, a large boulder outside their locker room. And it signifies the pounding of the rock that every action you take is a pounding of the rock. And the story is that it's not until you hit the rock for the 1000th time that Mm -hmm. it starts to crack. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was so powerful because it was like, when you're just starting out, you, one, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) There's a lot, a huge learning curve, but there's also the, the need to keep pounding the rock because at some point it's gonna break open. It's like pumping the water pump. And if you kept pumping and pumping, but you stopped that one pump before the water started flowing, that would be so unfortunate because right. one more pump or one right. more on the rock and right. then it starts to click and that's right. when the water flows. So so let me let me build on that for just a second, because you, your story about pounding on the rock or the water pump reminds me of what I used to tell my son, Zach, when yeah. he was studying the bass in high school. And it was the first yeah. kind of thing he really stuck with. Uh, you know, everything mm-hmm. else was an experiment, but this one he stuck with. But he started right. to get frustrated because now he's getting pretty good and he's working at more sophisticated riffs. And he'd come down and say, I think I need to quit. Well, why? Well, I'm trying to do this Santana set of chords or whatever else, and it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how many times do you try? Well, I've tried it 30, 40, 50 times. I said, what if you try it a thousand times? Mm-hmm. And if at a thousand times you don't have it, you can quit. But let's go a thousand. Yeah. And he'd come down at about 450 or something. Or, Listen to this. And he'd have it. and it'd be, He'd rock it, you know, really, really well. Yeah. Because it was it was getting the muscle and body memory. Let's just contrast that to what we'll call the dry hole. So you're pumping the water, pumping the water, and nothing's going to come because you didn't drill in the proper place. Right. 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 But then instead of it being, how do you know? You don't have to know. You start to say, what am I learning here? Mm. What is coming up out of this pumping action? Oh, I've got stronger arms. Oh, I've learned something about the dirt that I've got. Oh, I've learned something about plumbing. I've learned something about drilling. And you shift and you adjust based upon what you're learning. So you're starting from, I'm here to learn rather than I must succeed or it's failure. Right. And that's that persistent, consistent that you were referring to. 
Absolutely. And I think too, you also learn what you don't like. Like I learned a lot of what just by starting working with, you know, ultra marathoners and triathletes working on measuring their VO2 and helping them with their training plans. I also learned what about those things I didn't love doing, you know, and then it helped me iterate. So everything, you know, was a learning opportunity and it's that Carol Dweck, you know, growth mindset that you have to have, like, how is this a learning moment? How is, what is it teaching me and how can I use it? And oftentimes it just might teach you as it did for me, like what you don't like to do. And then, you know, you don't yeah. have to do that as much. <laughs> well, if, if anybody is benefiting from this, I would imagine it's a, a person who is consultative, they're a contractor, they're a vendor, they, they want to bring good to clients. It's not just, hey, let, you know, buy my time. It's like, I feel I can really make a difference or trying to do that. And they're, they're um, getting, if they're getting something, I hope it's that it's okay to narrow up and go deeper. It's okay to do what you love as opposed to um, just trying to do <laughs> and, and, you know, get just like, I have a client or whatever. But as you look to the future as one who's learned that this is a process and you're you're actually engaging what what the theorists tell us is prospect theory. I'm learning to go after the opportunity instead of to be afraid of the loss. And so yeah. you're going after the opportunity of the future. What do you imagine at this point you may have to yet narrow up? Like if it was tomorrow, what what do you think might go to the wayside? I think I could do an even better job of speaking to the transformation that's possible. I think a lot of time people look to healthy eating plans or anything in the nutrition space as like quick wins and uh, people are just more likely to buy something when something is quick. But transformation, of course, happens over time. And so I think as you know, I continue to work on this, it will really be honing the message about how, why this is important, yes, for the future and your long-term health, but um, just, you know, leaning into those everyday pain points and struggles and also listening to what do people in the crowded table currently, what do they love? What do they need more help with? How can I better serve them? Um, So I'll just continue to uh, listen and help, you know, as best I can in the moment, but definitely Mm. just keeping my ears open. Mm. I was trying to think about how I might have to face that again in the future, because as you said, this third turn leader idea is is catching enough fire that I'm regularly talking with people that... Yeah. I didn't go meet. They were I they were introduced to me. And those yeah. are really special conversations. What I am guessing is that that out of the two really big parts of my work life, there is this work I'm doing with people who are in a consulting career mm-hmm. and who want to take a process consulting approach, which is mm-hmm. clearly what we do mm-hmm. with maestro level leaders, people right. who are in their third turn. And I'm guessing that in the next couple of years, I may have to set one of those two down. Mm -hmm. And I truly, at this point, have to do some discerning because sometimes that's what this is. It's a bit of a battle. It's a wrestle because if you've really done this well, what you're doing is what you love. Yes. 
And and so either if it's no, I want to do both these, I'm going to have to start saying no because I won't have enough capacity or I'm going to have to choose between them as the means to narrow up. And it's so hard. It goes back to your question about like, how do you get over the fear of niching down? I mean, even if it's not fear, it's at least like an internal battle to to set something down or set it to the side for the future. Right. Right. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's not all that different than when I was about mm, 33, 34 years old. So um, still older than you are now, but, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, yeah. So at, at that point, I'm I'm deciding, OK, I enjoy music and I enjoy performing music. And I was playing two instruments, um, but I wasn't going to give it two, three, four hours a day. Yeah. And the other areas of my life that were growing and I loved doing and would give myself to as a hobby if I couldn't do it as a vocation mm-hmm. um, was was growing and edging into that. So now music is fun. Love to gather around a piano every now and then you dink at some things or whatever else. But I'm not playing for people's weddings anymore. And I'm not accompanying the choir at church and that kind of stuff, because I'm not going to give it the time because there's this other fuller, grander aspect of life that I, I wanted to become deeply skilled in. And it's, those are agonizing choices. But if we are afraid of the future and we're afraid to make the choice, we lose all kinds of opportunities that that could be there. And that would probably be what I would say to someone who is new and starting out. And so I'm, I'm wondering, Chelsea, what you would say to someone who is where you were three and a half or four years ago, and they're trying to imagine a practice that is full and growing. Mm-hmm. And, and you're saying, okay, if I could just like drill something into you so you could mm-hmm. be happier at this, mm-hmm. what would you say to them? I would say you can always change who mm-hmm. you serve and how you serve them. Um, because if, you know, the pandemic taught us anything about businesses needing to pivot, you know, so many went out of businesses if they weren't creative. Um, It's to not be afraid of, okay, you're putting your stake in the ground, but you can move that stake. Mm -hmm. Not a big deal. I mean, it, it, it is a big deal, but no one's telling you that you, once you choose this, that's what you have to do forever. That's the beauty mm-hmm. of being an entrepreneur and a consultant, um, a leader, a parent, is that you can always change. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the idea of putting down a stake, I think that's a great analogy. And this is probably where we need to kind of bring our conversation to end. But I, I was thinking about how, all right, I've driven garden stakes. You know, you've got a fence trying to, in my case, trying to keep the elk out of the garden. So you, you drive a stake and these elk come along and yeah. they, you know, rub up against the fence and the poles and they see if yeah. they want to try to jump over and all of that. Well, that that reduces the tension in the stake. So in order to keep the thing as you want it, mm-hmm. you still have to go out and investigate. Is this still mm-hmm. the boundary? Is this still the border? And in the yeah. meantime, you have other things like the elements themselves have an impact on the soil. And so even once you've got it set, it's not going mm-hmm. to stay there. Yeah. Uh, it starts to decline if you don't keep refreshing it just to keep it as it is. Right. I love that. Always opportunities to investigate and pivot. <laughs> yeah. 
Chelsea, as you know, I enjoy every conversation I get to have with you. And it's so fun to watch your career develop. And so thanks just for joining me in this conversation. It originally started out when we were having a meal together at your crowded table. And and we got talking about how you had narrowed it up. And I said, Chelsea, let's just talk about this on camera for a while, because I thought it could be helpful to others. And so we wanted to make it I'm talking to all of you listening. I wanted to make this available to you. And I'm going to ask Chelsea to send me some of those resources that she mentioned, some of the books uh, and places that uh, you can sign up for what she offers. And so I'm going to say thank you and farewell. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed and were maybe even a bit challenged by today's conversation. I certainly appreciated Chelsea's work to narrow her focus refine her language, and deepen her relevance around shared values as she moved beyond the concept of nutrition to more compelling emotional benefits like a crowded table and connections and nourishment. At whatever stage of leadership and life this finds you, my hope is that today's conversation helps you anchor in an ever clear sense of purpose and compelling shared values proposition with those you serve. We're always grateful to you, our listeners, and so appreciate your subscribing and passing this resource along to anyone you think would find it meaningful. And we continue to develop new cohorts for Maestro Level Leaders, so please reach out to us at maestroleverleaders.com if you're curious in any way. Josh Brinkman engineers our sound, Jennifer Miller supports us as producer, Mark L. Vincent is my co-host, and I'm Kristen Evenson. The Third Turn Podcast is a production of Design Group International. This is for grandchildren's grandchildren.